Welcome to Business Lines State of the Economy podcast where you will find insight analysis and the story behind the numbers Hi I am Dalip Singh for the second edition of the podcast on state of economy we will be discussing today a topic which is Indian defense setup and challenges posed by emerging technologies that is capturing everybody's mind who better than lieutenant general vj handare principal advisor to ministry of defense to broach the subject let me briefly introduce general khandare a garhwal rifles infantry officer who has had an illustrious career he was dg defense intelligence agency before hanging his boots in 2018 later he went on to become military advisor to national security council secretariat welcome general khandare to the podcast sir i we would like to know in fact request you to give us a sense on the new grammar of futuristic warfare much of it was reflected in the unending battle between russia and ukraine often it is said sir that what wars don't change weapons do but now it appears that the line dividing war and peace has thinned out now there is a talk of hybrid war emerging technologies like drones and ai are ensuring that attacks and sabotages continue without getting into a battlefield it's no longer about losing one jawan or an inch but a bite lost could also trigger face off between nations uh, thank you very interesting topic and a good question for everyone to understand uh, when we talk of uh, nations dealing with each other and especially with the identified adversaries uh people have started talking of unrestricted warfare hybrid warfare uh, fifth generation warfare there are numerous uh, terms which are used somebody calls it unrestricted never ending warfare this is now a complexity which includes conventional subconventional unconventional this kind of warfare which is a mix of what putin displayed and it continues to happen between russia and ukraine but there are other contours of warfare also take for example non kinetic domain cyber warfare information warfare from where does it start where does it end who is initiating it who's aggravating it nobody gets to know so these kinds of non kinetic asymmetric warfare uh, it is non attributable it is deniable you cannot put your finger as to who has done it so this is a vast expanse and this russia ukraine uh, war uh, has busted some myths people had started saying that we have entered a unipolar world order because of which there'll be no wars at least no conventional wars so that has gone out of the window people were talking about short swift wars it's been more than a year the war is not ending so in a nutshell if i were to say that there is complexity there's a lot of ambiguity there's a lot of uncertainty and volatility so this is an era where the entire nation has to be on its toes the entire effort to retain your sovereignty has to be based on every citizen's effort so it is not left only to the military or to the ministry of defense in any country is going to be a combined effort and a team effort 
please take us uh, through the current capability uh, no building program of the tri services especially in the domains of infra development and weapon system acquisition so more so uh, no given the secure insecurities from our neighbors that is no fueling investment in advanced defense technologies the first part is when you have to do acquisitions you have to develop your infrastructure you have to first carry out an environmental scan and a threat perception so do we do a threat person perception only by the military no it is done at the national level where the national security which encompasses say for example the physical security then which essentially means the territorial territorial is on land air as well as maritime then there is food security then there is energy security there is space security cyber security intellectual security there are plenty of these domains so let us come only to the military domain now within the military domain when we identify our adversaries then we carry out a study of what capabilities do they have and what intent can they have and how much time and which sector are we looking at so our acquisitions are also dependent on how do we want to fight the war do we want to fight the same kind of war against pakistan and china both are different so automatically the weapon inventory will be different the methodology of fighting will be different the mobility communication protection the survivability all these things are going to be different so the inventory is bound to be different so nobody can say that the troops deployed in andaman nicobar should have the same kind of equipment acquisitions as are required on the northern border so this is how we have to do sector specific threat specific then comes the issue of what is the inventory we are holding what is the obsolescence that we look at is this equipment or technology going to be obsolescent say in the next 5 years 10 years 15 years what is the technology differential between us and our adversaries when we look at all these things then we say okay we space out our acquisitions in a manner that we don't get everything changed in one go we have to have a continuous overlap where we are holding something which we are very used to there is something which is new which is being inducted and we are on the lookout for something beyond so when we say acquisition acquisition is not plain simple buying off the shelf it is not commercial off the shelf there is plenty of equipment which has to be designed developed then manufactured then tried out so all these things are a very complex process but those who are the stakeholders that is the users they know what they want then they tell the organizations like the drdo or isro as to what exactly do they want there are certain uh, elements of our inventory uh, which may not be readily available here even to drdo or to the dpsu so that is where the strategic partnership with friendly foreign countries is done and uh, then there is a very good mechanism there is a process the defense acquisition process the defense procurement procedure also 2016 2020 and based on that the guidelines are given what procedure is to be followed by following that procedure at least one is very sure that the procurement process is followed diligently so there is a process and there are Uh, departments there are branches there are directorates which are all involved in this in all three services there are different directorates 
but by and large the process for the tri services is the same that brings us to a, a core area no r and d in defense sector everybody every stakeholder has been voicing concern on the need to so invest in r and d and because unless until we do that we won't be able to achieve in true sense aatmanirbharta in defense sector isn't it so uh, see there are countries which have different models like uh, there is a term called the civil military fusion and uh, china has mastered that art how they use it is uh, they have universities which are paid out of the civil budget and the r&d is financed uh, by the government in these academia or research institutes whatever is the outcome of that research the military part of it is taken away by the military and uh, notch lower than the military grade is applied for the civil sector take an example of a vehicle the engine that is being used for a vehicle and an engine with a higher horsepower which has to be used for a armored vehicle or another type of engine which has to be used for a drone or an engine which has to be used for aeronautical platforms so these are all requirements of engine now what is done there is a lot of r and d effort required can a private industry afford that is extremely difficult so what is the solution that china has found that the state government or uh, the entire financing of that is taken on by the state a lot of money is required and similar process was followed by drdo and in the last couple of years it was found that uh, the private sector was not benefiting from the research output now drdo has been sharing the research output with the private sector also uh, you would have seen that during the uh, def expo in gandhinagar during the aero india in uh, bangalore you would have seen how so many mous were signed between drdo and the private industry how transfer of technology took place there is a change which has come up so what were the earlier problems of funding for research because private sector obviously cannot uh, run uh, in these kind of investment it is slightly different in usa also in usa everything is run by the private industry they have a method very small organization known as darpa where they carry out research they know what is the research they outsource the research to a large number of uh, academic institution research institution they get hold of uh, big business houses say um, lockheed martin or uh, boeing or anyone for that matter and they are the ones who fund the research part but then they have an assurance that the entire order would come to them in our case that is one difference that we have not been given giving any assurance to anyone and we follow the process of bids and then the lowest bid is taken care of after carrying out the technical evaluation so this is a this is an issue where civil military fusion has to be done we cannot follow the american model we cannot follow the chinese model so we are customizing our own model other than drdo the mod has gone in for another idex program idex program is for the startups for the msmes the challenges are thrown open and uh, then uh, the startups bid for it and there are various make one make two idex idex prime those are the models which are given with different amounts assured 50% is given by the government and 50% the startup has to invest 
the moment uh, there is an interest shown by the MOD, a lot of venture capitalists move in and start uh, offering the startup uh, funds. So in that entire process, you have the user, you have the designer, you have the developer, you have the venture capitalists, you have the production agency. And finally, you have again the testing process by the user. And uh, that is how it is incorporated. There is a challenge currently because everything you are not able to carry out research because there are different levels. Like uh, take, for example, sensors. Uh, even today, we don't have the best possible answers for these. You look at the chip, the semiconductors. We don't have an answer for that. So that strategic partnership will continue till such time we reach a level where we can say that our indigenous products are ready based on our research. So it's a con continuous and simultaneous procedure which will continue. So do you, sir, do you think the whole of uh, nation approach you are talking about, uh, that will be facilitated if India had its own national security doctrine? Because what we are what we are seeing now is there is a seriousness, but no, it's a disjointed effort uh, which is happening. The document availability of whatever you may call it, national security doctrine, national security strategy, whatever you may call it. But finally, it is the coordination that needs to be done either by the PMO, by the NSCS. That that is how it requires to be done. Now. Uh, the moment we say civil-military fusion, that is where inter-ministerial collaboration is required. In the absence of that document that you mentioned, is it that we are not moving ahead? No. Uh, we have certain guidelines, we have certain uh, clarity of thought at the apex level. What should be known to a person who has to act upon it is conveyed to him. Take, for example, the services. Uh, there is a Raksha Mantri's uh, operational directive that is known to all the three chiefs, that is known to the CDS. There is a strategic planning group which is held at the level of NSA. There is a limited SPG meeting which takes place. The NSA is very clear in his mind what is required to be done. So he drives it from there. So the concerned ministry is roped in. Uh, take an example of uh, DPSUs and PSUs which are there with most of the ministries. There is some coordination which takes place about the equipment which can be produced by a particular DPSU or by, by a, a PSU. How they do it? There is a mechanism which works in the government. And I would say uh, just because there is a doctrine not available or uh, not being mentioned, uh, doesn't mean that uh, we cannot function. Now, this is a very deliberate decision whether the document has to be made public, not to be made public, because those who are powerful will make such doctrines and such documents public, because you are advertising to your adversary what you are going to do. There is a union war book. In the union war book, there are three uh, distinct parts of it. That is uh, during peace, then during short of conflict and during conflict, what each one is supposed to do. When I say during peace, what is it that you're doing, uh, doing during peace? You're ensuring your defense preparedness. What is it that you're doing, doing during uh, short of conflict? Every ministry is responding to the situation where there is no conflict declared. In fact, if you look at uh, our history, uh, how many times have we declared war? 
hardly any but we've been continuously at war and each uh, segment of the government has been responding so whether there is a desirability of making such documents public is a choice which is with the apex level of the government a uh, fair enough sir so far we have been talking about emerging technology and you know and its impact uh, so but what about uh, people who man or will be manning futuristic defense systems and ecosystem what are we doing to have an evolved approach to cerebral preparations of military leaders and and i would add to that for foot soldiers as well uh, the first part is about the clarity the cerebral clarity of uh, various levels of our human capital take an example at the uh, directional level that is absolutely on top that is the three service chiefs and the cds and their own staff they have to be very clear as to what are the dangers which are unfolding in different domains and different sectors beyond the conventional part what are the asymmetric parts the, the domains that we have to look at in fact i would say that uh, the way our history unfolded even without the term asymmetric being coined we were faced with the asymmetric threats uh, of terrorism from across so that is the biggest lesson that we have learned that uh, the moment we face that threat we realize that uh, how quickly can we prepare ourselves you would remember the initial years where uh, there were so many bomb blasts all over the country there were infiltrations there were yes. killings minority killings and so many things so that was one kind of new warfare that we had to get into now what are the subsequent uh, new forms of warfare that we will be looking at look at the electromagnetic spectrum now domination of the electromagnetic spectrum will either enable the dominator or will disable the person who is being subjected to that so the first part that we have to look at is capability and capacity enhancement capability yeah. enhancement would mean equipment capacity means training now most of the services have already gone in for establishing centers of excellence whether it is related to artificial intelligence big data analysis analysis quantum uh, technology so there is a simultaneous approach of interacting with academia uh, think tanks simultaneous cross pollination of officers into drdo into isro into iits we have in quite a few iits with their specialization our officers who have already moved into that domain even the uh, 5g development we have military officers into that and uh, our own designing because with the new type of warfare you have to go in for stealth material stealth manufacturing so the cerebral part at the level of direction level uh, officers execution level again they have to understand because they are the ones who have got to translate the thought process into plans into directions and then they have to get it executed coming to the lowest level where it is the last man in the chain they have to start using different kinds of weapons now take for example the drones now drones are the latest asymmetric threat which is not only for military but for non military also you would have heard of so many times drones coming and getting drugs or weapons or ammunition now bsf also has to get used to it so it's not only in the military domain it is into the paramilitary or the capf domain also 
the ITBP, which is along the northern border, they also have to get used to it. So that is where we started calling the entire fraternity as the security fraternity. And all of us have to train jointly. So if somebody from BSF is being deployed in, say, 15 core zone ahead of Srinagar, so they all train jointly. CRPF also trains jointly. So gradually, as the threat unfolds, uh, we have to keep upgrading our capabilities. And what you mentioned as disruptive technologies, I look at it slightly differently. A disruptive technology will be by a person who's initiating it. But if we have to look at what we want to do, then I call it empowerment technology. If I have AI, it is empowering. me. If I have big data analysis, it is empowering. me. If I have quantum uh, technology, whether it is in satellites, whether it is in radars, whether it is in computing, it is empowering. me. And all these uh, bits of additions are there in our training. I think armed forces are the one particular type of fraternity which trains every year. Collective training is done every year. In addition to that, people like me will keep going for courses. Within the units, there is a continuous training process. And here there is a balance. What you have to carry out as action is meant for training. That is the people who have to do repeated actions. And those at the highest level have to do education. So that in a nutshell is how we prepare ourselves. Deep technologies require deep pockets, isn't it? And funding is a major challenge for a growing economy like India, no? which is equally caught up with social welfare responsibilities. Are we in a position to fund uh, emerging technologies, next generation technologies, uh, which uh, the country definitely wants given the threat from China, from Pakistan? Dalibji, India can always surprise everyone. You remember how we started our uh, atomic program and despite all the opposition all over the world and the kind of sanctions that were put, we still managed the kind of funding that was stopped. You remember the kind of missile projects, the space projects. Uh, these were at that time also the deep technology of that particular era. And that required uh, deep pockets. Indians have a capability of trying to find simple solutions to complex problems. Whenever there is a challenge, India always comes up with something which is affordable to us. Okay, we may not be able to do it at the scale at which superpowers do. But that is how it is. The superpowers will always have deep pockets. They will always be uh, miles ahead of us in that kind of technology. Uh, it's not that uh, we will have the best of glitter and best of uh, the glamour that they have, but we will find our own solutions. And we have always done that. Uh, we may possibly be uh, one step behind them or two steps behind them, but we always do that catch up. Uh, the strength or the strategy in this lies in making the economy stronger, stronger and stronger and in a very fast time frame so that we are able to afford to put funds in such activities. And most of the uh, latest technology that we are looking at has tremendous amount of application in civil sector as well. Uh, so it cannot be that the expenditure will have to be uh, incurred only by the security sector. On the contrary, the expenditure once gone through the civil sector it automatically helps the uh, security sector also. You look at how 
the automobile industry developed in India, uh, there was entire control. Uh, then you look at the communication cell phones and see how uh, we have moved ahead. On the same lines, we'll have to keep moving ahead in a, a parallel manner where wherever there is a requirement in civil sector and possibility of private sector funding, government funding, that will have to be done. So it's not a very uh, hopeless or a thankless situation. I think we will keep finding answers as applicable to us. There was a another larger uh, sort of democratic uh, uh, question. I think if you can throw more light on that, the constant struggle in a democracy, whether to spend on social issues or on military, how do you answer to that? Any country where there is democracy, these challenges are very peculiar. So to an extent, it is a very unequal matched race. Uh, if you look at autocratic China, they will uh, control where they want to conserve and the citizens will not be able to say anything to that extent. And you will not even come to know because there is no transparency for anyone to have a look at uh, the social welfare part. Uh, what's happening in Xinjiang and Tibet is for all of us to know. In our country, that is not the case. We are a democratically elected government-ruled country. We have adopted a constitution, so obviously that there is no compromise on that. We'll have to continue to balance in that. So maybe our pace will be a little slow. In most of the cases we would have found, we may not have had the best equipment, but the human capital has been so good that it has compensated for uh, range lower than the best and delivered the best results. I can give you an example. When we became independent, what inventory did we inherit? We inherited the British inventory of World War II. Yeah. What inventory did uh, the Pakistanis get? They got from the Americans the best possible inventory. You remember 1965 Sabre Jets versus Nat from uh, the British days. But the pilots were extremely good. You uh, then come to subsequent uh, period, the latest one, say 1999 in uh, Kargil, without the air power also, uh, using the artillery guns in the most imaginative manner, so, like when General Malik said during Kargil, we'll fight with what we have and we'll win. And that's exactly what happened. So, in a democracy, such challenges will always be there. We are not Pakistan, where uh, Pakistan army decides on how much budget it wants and rest is left to the people. But then their ideology is such that even if they don't get anything, when it comes to hate India campaign, the entire country comes on one platform. So we have our own peculiarities. We must look at our own challenges and we must find our own solutions. So on uh, uh, on the front of Atmanadvarta uh, in defense sector, we have traveled uh, no, quite a few distance. Uh, but there are certain areas. A decision-making process is one which uh, mostly most of them uh, uh, identify. Then... To to certain extent, a uh, transparency. Many a times, uh, no, they they say that they don't know uh, what is happening. Can you uh, throw some light? Is that a is there a need for you no know, second wave of reforms in defense sector so that these aspects can be looked into? See, these don't require reforms. These just require modifications in the processes. We all learn as we travel the journey. Uh, I'll give you an example. A good example is how Navy realized that decision-making has to be fast. 
so they just flattened the decision making process and uh, uh, they put four officers under the vice chief and uh, decisions are taken contracts are prepared and orders are given uh, in june 2022 when the prime minister announced 75 challenges open to private sector or to people innovators i would say in swavalamban uh, last month beyond those 75 25 more have been given so 100 contracts have been signed in the last about one year that's a very good speed at which uh, navy has projected its work and in uh, aero india uh, no in uh, uh, def expo uh, the kind of challenges which were thrown open by uh, the prime minister for space also uh, 75 uh, challenges were thrown open for space the first contract has been signed and mind you space is a very complex process it it cannot be so easily done it is not a nut and bolt it is something which is traveling in the outer space the gravitational pull the force that forces that are applied the temperatures and indigenization of that requires a lot of effort from the startups so decision making i gave you one good example i am sure the others will follow the good practices that they have seen it does not require reforms it requires changing of your process and mindsets the attitudes have to change and everyone has to identify that he is a part of the solution not a part of the problem the uh, second part which you said is about the transparency yes there is an issue by nature military officers will not want to reveal anything and by nature industry will want to know everything so that is a matchmaking that has to be done in a manner people have come to uh, quite a few changes yes the hunger for changes will be much more in the industry also uh now the hunger for changes should actually come up from the user because they must start demanding things earliest and they must see how they can speed up uh if uh, processes were taking 3 years now processes have started coming down to about an year and same is the case with the ministry also uh, the time taken is much less but transparency again there is always a danger in a democracy where accountability has to be fixed people are always worried or concerned and rightly so that their reputation should not be tarnished they are at positions which require people with high integrity and there is a selection process the military secretaries branch in all three services positions people with very high integrity they are very careful that their integrity should not be compromised there are unethical elements who are dealing with them also so they have to be cautious there so at times it so happens that being over cautious could possibly create some uneasiness among the industry also uh, but i have seen a lot of good officers reaching out i have seen a lot of good people from the industry reaching out there will be some pain points but i think by uh, mutual dialogue by uh, reaching out to each one uh, they will resolve it i don't think it is end of the journey as such in fact we are moving in a very fast pace things are changing but the number of things that have to be changed are far too many and uh, uh, government processes and procedures have a method which is to be followed even if it has to be changed if something was made in 2020 and you want to change it in 2021 no one will agree to that but there are other departments and ministries also where such changes have happened where the pace has been very fast 
I think we can pick up all good lessons from everywhere. Futuristic warfare demands many a times can suffer from inherent contradictions. And I say this because it can run into infinite. So do you think there is a need to run a check of uh, pragmat- pragmatism on next generation requirements? For example, the army recently floated an RFP uh, for robotic mules. I, and I remember reading somewhere uh, in global publication that even U.S. Army gave up this idea because they found that it was operationally unfeasible. Your thoughts? What is uh, not feasible or not desirable for U.S. Uh, may not necessarily fit the bill here. We We may find it quite useful. In fact, when they're talking of robotic mules or exoskeletons, Exoskeletons are found very useful by the Chinese in the high altitude areas. Those are essential for us also. How do you deliver logistics? How do you go to an altitude of 5000 meters? Do you use the uh, drones only? Currently, there aren't enough uh, evidences to say that the drone engines will be capable of going up to that altitude and also countering the wind speeds at that level. So you have to find some other solution. Now, US obviously is not being attacked there and US is not fighting in any high altitude area. In fact, they are coming to us to learn uh, from our experience as to how to fight in high altitude areas. So just because it is US doesn't mean that they know everything. And uh, we have for decades together been holding positions at high altitude. And when we look at robotic mules or we look at exoskeleton, and we have been working hard uh, towards that those solutions, maybe we will come up with a solution which others may want to emulate at a later stage. You look at the kind of uh, speed which has uh, gathered uh, for logistic supply. I have served on CHN Glacier. I know how difficult it is. Uh, between 16,000 to 21,000 uh, feet climb, uh, we could barely carry uh, 10 kgs and every day we had to do those uh, link patrols in which I as an officer was also doing it. So whether the US finds it useful or not, let's see at which place are they deployed at 21,000 or 61,000. They're not. They may come for expeditions. They may have those buggies which they use in Afghanistan and then they leave it there and run away. So all those things are their experiences. We the will US- we will find our own solutions. So US, I just mentioned because no, but to be very precise, they said the uh, robotic mules will make kind of noises, no, which compromises your whole operational uh, ability. So that was just one example which came to my mind to sort of. But my my broad contention was: is there a need for a a, a reality check on futuristic demands? That was my question, largely. Okay. I, I'll give you an example. Alouette uh, helicopter, light helicopter, which we call Cheetah or Cheta, uh, the French designed it uh, not to fly higher than 12,000 meters, 12,000 feet. At what altitude are we landing them? We are landing them at 16,000. Mm-hmm. Solom is a post at 16,000. When the Alouette engineers came to India, they were shocked as to how is this engine performing at this altitude. So we have that uh, great capability to find solutions by common sense. 
we may not have the ideal solution, but we have a practical solution. Now, when you say what are the future warfare requirements and what is a reality check or an audit that we have done, each of the service has an organization for perspective plans. They have a system of finding out that what is it that we would need? What is it that we have? What is existing in the market? So if I divide technology into three parts, every country is morally duty bound to give niche technology to its armed forces. Whether you give it or not is a different issue. The second part is emerging technology because that is in the advanced countries, it is under manufacture or in the final stages of development. So obviously, they, we look at it that this is something which we will be requiring in the next one year, two years, three years, five years, whatever. And then there is an incubating technology which is still in the mind or in the lab. At all stages, all three such uh, discoveries are being done in each of the three services. And then there is a lot of indigenization of this. Like Navy, they have VESI, where they do their own designs. You look at Army, they have their own solutions which are being done, uh, say, in software. There is a particular organization. In simulators, they have a particular organization. In DRDO, they have their own methods of doing it. Okay, you look at uh, how Air Force has been able to create solutions. Because of the Russia-Ukraine war, there are problems which in the supply chain management. But Air Force, has, uh, Air Force has overcome. Probably Russia would want some help from us. So we have a, a system and I think it is in our DNA that uh, we are able to find solutions. And there is a lot of uh, thinking that goes on. Uh, in fact, you should hear uh, how the CDS explains how the transformation is being thought of and how it is being done. I, one of my own regimental officers has come into the strategic planning directorate and I was discussing with him the other day and he told me how they are looking at things even in the next decades how there could be contestations in space and how we are going to combat that what will happen if there is a chemical and biological threat how will we counter that so these are all things which happen simultaneously and they have to continue it's not that there is ever a full stop if there is a full stop on a particular line, line, there is second line which is already moving. A third line is being formed. So these are different levels of technology readiness. And that is where uh, we continuously keep moving. So we could not uh, now include space in our uh, discussion this time due to paucity of time. Perhaps uh, another session we would look into the, that important aspect as well. Nonetheless, sir, Thanks for joining us and informing our listeners on our defense preparedness and which would definitely secure the nation against any future threats. Thanks again, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you.